In the name of God, who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. In the gospel today, Jesus tells a parable that when you flip through your Bible, if it has those headings, it's usually called the parable of the rich fool, which always makes me think a little bit of the Phantom of the Opera, which might seem random, but bear with me for a minute. If you know the show, in the middle, there's the point where Carlotta is singing and she's about to lose her voice, and she says, poor fool, he makes me laugh. And then she goes on to lose her voice. It's an ironic moment. The thing about this parable, actually, is that it, I think it would be better labeled the parable of the poor fool. We're in a section of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is teaching the disciples and the crowds about what really matters, about how to live a faithful life, but also how to live an abundant, fulfilling life. What real life is. And so at the beginning of the text, someone says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance between us. Which probably is a little bit of a trick question at this point, because the way that inheritance law worked at this point, the older brother sort of just got everything. That just kind of was the way that it was. And every once in a while, we would see examples of the younger brother still getting something else, right? We have that in the prodigal son. The father divides everything that he has between the two. But most of the time, the older brother would inherit. So it's possible that if this is the younger brother, he's kind of just trying to get something, right? He, he wants more than he's supposed to get. Now, the system may be unfair, but that's the question. So Jesus responds to the young man by saying, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which is worth unpacking, I think, for a minute before we get to the parable. All kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. What else could that be, do you think? We'll come back to that. This man, though, has been limited, maybe, in his understanding? What do you think? He's been limited by his ability to, what, to have everything, to want everything? His view is so focused on what he has in this parable. He's so focused on what he has and how he can keep even more of it. He's been lulled into believing that he can do what he likes. Listen to the way this man talks. Soul. I have plenty. Soul. I hope none of you talk to yourself like that. <laughs> I mean, everybody talks to themselves a little bit, but soul, I have plenty, and I can keep everything for myself. How horrible. <laughs> he thinks only of himself. And in some ways, I think that reminds us a little bit of the narrative that the world tells us, right? That um, we can store up enough to live the way that we need to live. We can store up enough to fulfill ourselves, and then we can depend solely on what we've created for ourselves, right? It's the myth of security. It's the myth of um, individualism in some ways. And so this parable, at first glance, it seems very simple, right? And perhaps some of you are sitting there saying, well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I don't need this message, right? This is not for me. I'm not sitting there tearing down my barns. I know that's a waste. That's horrible. I, I would never do that. 
But make no mistake that every parable of Jesus is more complicated than that and is often a moving target and always has something to say to us. So what does this parable have to say to you? Some of it, I think, is about this all kinds of greed that's at the beginning. Greed is an interesting thing, and it has an interesting role in this parable. We can be greedy for lots of things, right? We can be greedy for time or attention or fame or money, of course. We can be greedy for other things, for other people. And the role of greed here is, is pretty important because it limits his ability to see. Probably all of us, if we found ourselves in a moment like this, would like to imagine that our first response would not be, let me tear down my barn so that I can have more. Probably all of us would like to think that our first response would be, I wonder if I can share some of this abundance. I mean, in theory, he's sharing out of his abundance, right? Out of his extra crops. He's not giving of anything that's going to hurt himself. He's not giving of anything that's going to empty his own stores or cause him to go hungry. And yet the greed here has completely changed his view, his way of looking at the world. Now, as Christians, we believe in a different worldview. We believe that Despite what the world tells us, we do not stand on our own two feet all alone. We are part of the body of Christ. Each one of us a member of that larger body, which makes us part of a community, part of a whole. And it does ask us to sort of deny that, that lie that the world tells us that we can amass enough for ourselves, we can have enough that we can stand on our own. Because as Christians, you really just can't get away from the reality that we believe we are connected to each other, that we are responsible for each other, that we are fully dependent on the mercy and the love of God and need to be in relationship with our neighbors, even the ones who make us a little crazy from time to time. We believe deeply in that sense of being. And that maybe is the most obvious thing that this man is missing a sense of community, a sense of responsibility, a sense of the common good. Now, in this part of the gospel, Jesus spends a good chunk of time, and we're going to hear it a little bit next week, too, talking about our relationship with money. It's something that he does frequently in the gospel, actually. And it's in part because he knows that if we have a difficult and a dangerous relationship with money, it can hollow us out. It makes our hearts smaller. It makes our views smaller. It empties us. It changes us. And so part of the question of this text, too, is about what we do with what we have amassed. We may not feel like we're this bad. <laughs> Hopefully, we would be inclined to share. And yet, I'm willing to bet that for every single one of us, there is at least one thing in our life that if we gave it a little more power, would drive us, would rule us, would take us away from our love of God and neighbor. Because that's what it is to be human. We're compelled by things. We're compelled by people. We're taken in. We're pulled in. We're interested. And so in this part of the gospel, Jesus is mindful of our relationship with money. 
and also of the sense that our giving makes us better, makes our hearts bigger, and makes us, interestingly, I think this phrase at the end of the gospel is really interesting, this rich towards God. What does that mean, to be rich towards God? Certainly it's the opposite of what this man does, right? He appears to have wealth and all the things, so much so that he's pulling down his barns, rebuilding them so that he can hold more. But in the end, what does he really have? He really doesn't have anything. He doesn't talk about anyone to give anything to. He doesn't share anything with the world around him. <laughs> and to be a little crass, right? We all come to the gate of death the same way. And when we get there, how often have you seen a U-Haul go after the hearse? Right? That's where that old cliche, that old trope comes from. You can't take it with you. And it's true. So in the end of this parable, as his life is demanded of him, what does he have? He's told himself his whole life long that he has everything. I mean, just listen to what he says. Soul, we can eat, drink, and be merry. But he has forgotten. He has forgotten that his life doesn't depend on him and his wealth alone. That he is wholly dependent on the mercy of God. So what does rich towards God mean? It must be the opposite of what this guy does, right? He's greedy, he amasses his wealth, he doesn't share, and equally as important, he forgets that he is not in control. He forgets that he belongs to God. There's a reminder in this parable, I think, that there's a better way for us to spend our life, and there's a better way for us to spend our time, and that none of us know when our time is going to run out. And those are helpful reminders, but it's not really what this parable is about. This parable is about the, the danger of greed, and specifically the danger of greed around money. About that ability to think that we can control things simply because we have enough. And that's how this man gets the rug pulled out from him, right? Because all of a sudden, everything he thought he had planned was gone. If we need a little more direction, St. Paul addresses it in the epistle today, too. Seek the things that are above. Seek Christ. Don't seek the things of the earth. Don't be like all those other people who believe all the lies about security and individualism and control. But remember that you are part of a community. Seek Christ. And what we know from Scripture is that when we do that, honestly, and we're willing to give ourselves over, then we will be asked to give and to serve and to love. And we know that if we do it honestly, if we see Christ in the things that are above, that we can't end up alone. Because part of that is about being in a community. It's about being part of a, a larger body. And so the tragedy of this man in the parable, his loneliness, his lack of clarity, if we seek Christ and fix our attention there, then that is not something that can happen to us. Because the truth is that if we follow after Jesus in the way of love, love doesn't tolerate this kind of foolishness and selfishness. Love doesn't allow us to sit there and amass everything and then keep it for ourselves. Love 
doesn't allow us to be alone. Love and greed, the way that we see in this parable, they can't live in the same body. And neither can love and that sense of individualism that the world pushes on us so strongly. So I wonder this week for you, what are the secret places in your life, and I'm not asking you to tell me, but I am asking you to do the reflection for yourself. Although you can tell me if you want. Um, what are the secret places in your life where you think you are a little greedy? Where it's possible for that greed to, at some point, take more control of you than you would like? Because we all have them. All of us have things that pull us and pull at us. What is it that you think would try to take the place of God and neighbor? And what can you do to turn your heart again to be rich towards God? The key to that we're going to hear in the gospel next week. But carry that phrase around with you this week and wonder about what it means to be rich towards God. Some of it, I think, is about knowing in your bones who you are and whose you are, that the God who created you loves you more than you can ask or imagine, and to remember that you are not in control. It's this God who's in control, who loves you and who created you and who is longing for you to just live. Seek the things that are above, that are not of this world, and yet do it alongside your neighbor in the sight of God. Amen.